the Lord uh, left a lot of things for the church to decide. It would have been great if he'd sat down and written out everything so we wouldn't have to debate everything over the years. It began with um, something as simple as, what do you do after one of the apostles leaves? You know, Judas betrayed Jesus and then killed himself. Well, we see here in this, here Jesus is about to go to ascend to heaven. In Matthew's gospel, there are the 11 disciples. Why is it that Jesus didn't pick the 12th one out while he was still here? After all, he picked out the other ones. He's the CEO, isn't he, of this new church. And yet he didn't say anything about replacing Judas. It was only after the ascension and their... They hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet, but when the Spirit comes down on them, then they realize we're going to round it back out to 12. But afterward, they never replaced the apostles again. As they died, they were not replaced. We have to look at that. And the other thing that we see today is that the church, it was given to the church to discern what the, who is the Trinity? What is the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Jesus tells us to baptize in the Father, Son, and Spirit, but their relationship between them, it took a long time for the church to pray about this. This is the way God wanted it. He wanted us to use our minds to think. And he continues to speak through the scriptures and the church and our lives. All three of these are vitally important to having a grounding. Notice there's a Trinity. My conscience the scriptures, the church. The three of them together keep us grounded, just like in three, God is one. So we find here that scripture uses these three terms interchangeably. Apostles, disciples, followers. I wonder if it would be great to have an hour just to to have us all try to figure out what we think those things mean. Which one do you fit into? Well, nobody here thinks they're an apostle, do they? But the bishops are... We consider them the successors of the apostles, but we don't call them apostles. They, what that means is that they have the, they've received the authority of leading the church. Uh, you know, and the Pope has the successor of Peter in the sense of, of the Spirit's mission as, as the head. But, but a follower in the time of Christ, you would find the same phenomenon both in the Greek world, meaning pagan, and also with the Jews. It was a very common phenomenon. If a person was a teacher or a philosopher and you had a, a school, if you will, it didn't just mean that you were lecturing in a classroom with a, with, a, with, a, um, with a tablet or something, or an iPad. I guess they didn't have those then. And they would be, uh, the teacher would, would be expounding. And as they moved from place to place, those who were learners would accompany the teacher. And so we often find Jesus walking and talking. His followers, it sounds obvious, would literally be following along. It didn't mean they were committed to him. It meant that they were coming along to learn kind of a come and see type of thing. They were followers. They're people that that had begun to commit themselves but weren't fully within the orbit of the teacher or the master. And then you have a disciple A disciple has made a commitment to the teacher. The disciple is going to be like the master. They're going to be like their teacher and, if possible, to exceed the teacher by using what the teacher has given them. The idea is, I'm going to become like this person 
and then I'm going to become myself. So you'll be something different, but you'll also have within you all that the teacher inculcated into you. And the, the disciple is a lifelong learner and then somebody who will turn around and then teach others. So we ourselves can be Catholics without necessarily being disciples. A disciple has to be somebody that's committed in a relationship to the master who is Jesus. He's got a lesson plan every day at, you know, half the time I would prefer a different lesson than the one he's giving me. But that's, he's the master, I'm the learner, right? When I try to tell him what to do, it doesn't work. He has to remind us who's in charge here. And he tells us then, he says, go and he tells the disciples. Notice he doesn't call them apostles, Matthew doesn't here, because he's not just speaking to 11 individuals. Can you imagine these 11 individuals? They weren't filled with the Holy Spirit yet. They're still doubting. This is the first time we see Jesus being worshipped. Only three years earlier, he was calling them on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, not far from the spot. He looked like an ordinary man. Now they're worshiping him as God. That's a big transformation. And they're still in the process of working it out. And he says, now I want all of you to go out and convert all the nations. That sounds ridiculous. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then have them go to RCIA and then give them envelopes. <laughs> oh, good. I finally said that right. I'm uh, just kidding. Uh, actually, he says, I want you to go out and teach them to observe what I've told you. So the, the question is, how do we do this? Um, most of us don't feel, some of us have been overseas, but, you know, the church itself is, is called to be an example to all the nations. But you and I are called to be his witnesses where we live and work. Family, school, home, the unemployment line, whatever the thing is, that we're, wherever I am today, if I go to the beach this, the next weekend, I am called to be God's witness by what I say and do, but also by what I don't say and what I don't do. And then sometimes to speak about him in words. Uh, we can't escape this as disciples. I'm a lifelong learner. And then as a disciple, I will then be called, God has a mission for me. I have to put, I have a, I have a homework assignment. I have to be his witness. We had an interesting um, funeral on Friday. One of our prisoners' uh, uh, son died. I knew her, but I didn't know her son. Um, turned out the son went to St. Joe's, and Father Todd knew him. Father Todd... Uh, he, he died right during the First Communion two weeks ago, and I was not able to get there until afterward Father Todd got there. Father Todd turned out to have known him. Um, I guess he, he went to the 7.30 p.m. Mass over at St. Joe's, uh, you know, what we call the Last Chance Mass around here. And Father Todd, whenever he would do Mass, he said, he said he didn't know this man either that well, but he was impressed by the fact that he would come early to pray. That seems like a very simple thing, doesn't it? But Father Todd was impressed. He saw this and, and remembered it and mentioned it at his funeral. Wouldn't this man have been surprised that this was the thing that was brought up there? How many others noticed him? Probably quite a few. His example, no doubt, led others to pray. And this is exactly what being a disciple means, is 
doing something, even if you're not aware, that reflects Christ. What example do I set? Even what do I come... I, I should say this at the other masses because it's more important there, but when I leave early, I'm setting a bad example unless I have a need to leave early. You see what I mean? This is, this is how a disciple acts rather than somebody who is simply coming along for the ride, more committed. And I recall, too, that when I was thinking about being a priest, I went to daily mass. I, I had rented an apartment that I could see the, the local church from my bedroom window and it began to bug me. So I started going over there for Mass, and I had an early shift. I worked at 7.15 in the morning for a while then. So I would go to 6 a.m. Mass. Those of you who know me know that's a miracle, like the second coming of Christ. <laughs> you, you knew something was going on if I got up to go to Mass at 6 a.m., you know. Um, but I said, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere, but please, no 6 a.m. Masses in my parish, please. But... Uh, but afterward, I started going to the 8 a.m. Mass when I got a more normal shift, and uh, people were, I noticed that people around me would come early to pray. And I began to do the same thing. Before long, I was coming about an hour early. Um, and that changed my life. And see, some of these people led me into the priesthood, and they don't know that they did. Um, maybe they'll find out when they died or whatever. It's been a long time now. But I can see their faces. One or two of them would come early, and I don't mean this to be negative, but they, one lady in particular, there were two sisters, and one of them, I mean, blood sisters, and she would go around and chit-chat with everybody in the room, drive me nuts. So I started bringing earplugs to, to fight back against her. I called her big pockets because she had so much stuff in her pockets, and I kept wondering what was in there. So it was not very edifying, is it? But you can see that in the midst of, of life, some are a better example than others, but all of us are called to think about what sort of example I'm giving in the circumstances of my life. What am I not saying about people? What am I saying? When I left my job, after that, you know, uh, I worked in a very secular profession, and just like many of you, most of you, I guess, uh, in fact, almost every workplace has every conceivable type of person there, usually People work in churches were all of a like mind, but that's unusual, isn't it? And so I remember that, that sometimes people would tell really dirty jokes and things, and I would try not to laugh or listen. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where you just, you're trying to be a Christian in the modern world. I wasn't a priest then. And I remember um, one time I, I was really frustrated about something, and I said something I shouldn't have. I'm not going to say what it was. But after I said this, everybody in my work group looked over and said, you said that? And I thought, oh yeah, you know, they had noticed what I didn't say. You see what I mean? Uh, I still remember that, uh, that incident. I thought, it was embarrassing to me, but I thought, they noticed what I wasn't saying. And so when I, when I went off to, to, I decided to leave the company when the office was moving, I've told this story, and I came back to tell this group of individuals that I've been working with for years. I said, I've decided to leave the company to become a priest. I hadn't said a word about it. They looked at me and they said, what took you so long? <laughs> Somehow they picked it up without my saying a word. Do you see what I'm saying? And I think each of us, if people can't tell that we're Christians in the workplace, the marketplace, if there's nothing different about us, then I'm not a disciple. I mean, God is going to call for some differences. I, every, for every person, this is a different story. Um, you have your lives 
I have mine, and everything's a challenge. And this is the way God has it. You know, we're, we're walking along with Christ through the world of our lives, and Christ is pointing out different things as we go along, like a follower, but I'm a disciple. And he's going to say, now it's your turn. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of disappear a little bit here, and I'm going to turn it over to you. What are you going to do about this? Um, and we have to think it through, like the church did in figuring out the Trinity, or whether to add an, a 12th apostle or not to add one after the, they began to die. James was the first one to be martyred, and John the last to go. And so in our lives, too, as disciples, we are both lifelong learners and lifelong doers, always with our actions and sometimes with our words.